Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rocking good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Trag, and Michael. We're three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all times, and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who've inspired us over the years. Today's Rocktail Hour is brought to you by Audible.com. You can download a free audiobook of your choice at www.audibletrial.com backslash Rocktail Hour or from the link on our homepage or affiliates page. In today's Rocktail Hour, Treg is going to tell us the story behind Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is one of my all-time favorite songs. It comes off of the, the band's 1975 album, A Night at the Opera. It's the classic rock opera that was written by Queen frontman Freddie Mercury. Uh, the other day, my wife and I, we teach a uh, middle school drama class, 7th and 8th graders. And uh, before class, there was a group of kids that were singing at the top of their lungs, Bohemian Rhapsody. So this is a song that certainly spans the generations. It, it almost brought a tear to my eyes to see that these kids had, had appre- could appreciate like that a song from 1975. And that's why I decided to do it now. Makes you wonder where they hear the song. Both my boys, you know, teenagers, one an early teenager, very familiar with the song and loves it. And you're right, it's great to hear them uh, enjoy the song, but I don't ever recall listening to it with them. Certainly in the 90s, it gained popularity again with uh, the release of the Wayne's World movie, and that introduced that whole generation sure. to the song. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But this this song is pure genius. It's beautiful. And it's, it's a song that's really fun to sing along with because of all the dynamic changes in it, and especially the opera section. In 2002, this song came in at number one in a poll by Guinness World Records as Britain's favorite single of all time. It uh, surpassed John Lennon's Imagine, which was number two, and the Beatles' Hey Jude. So Bohemian Rhapsody was a huge commercial success as well. It was at the top of the UK singles chart for nine weeks. It reached number nine in the United States after its release. What's interesting, though, about the the charting for Bohemian Rhapsody is that it was the, I I believe, the only single, maybe it was the first single to hit number one on the UK singles chart two different times with the same version. That was because in 1991, after Freddie Mercury died, it gained enormous popularity again, and it hit number one on the UK charts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did hit number two in the United States in 1992. That was after the Wayne's World movie featured uh, that epic scene of uh, singing along with Bohemian Rhapsody. Now, here's another interesting thing I didn't know, that it was, and it may still be, the most expensive single ever recorded. That's because it was recorded in five separate studios over a three-week period. And they used so many different overdubs that it, it, it greatly exceeded the capacity of the recording equipment at the time. And so they actually had to physically tape the different sections of the, the recording together with razor blades and, and scotch tape. Holy cow. Well, let's talk about the meaning. It's, it's not entirely clear what the true meaning of the song is as it was intended by Freddie Mercury. He's refused to explain the meaning of the song other than to say that it's about relationships. Brian May actually said, this is a great quote I wanted to read. He said, what is Bohemian Rhapsody about? Well, I don't think we'll ever know, and if I knew, I probably wouldn't tell you anyway, because I certainly don't tell people what my songs are about. 
I find that it destroys them in a way because the great thing about a great song is that you relate it to your own personal experiences in your own life. I think that Freddie was certainly battling with problems in his personal life, which he might have decided to put into that song himself. I think it's best to leave it with a question mark in the air. I respect Brian May's uh, opinion that people should interpret the song themselves, but for me, uh, I, I get much greater meaning and much greater importance uh, out of a song by understanding a little bit more about what the author intended. And, and I think that's true for this song as well as most of the, the rock tale hours that we've done. Roger uh, Taylor, also in the band, explained that he thinks that the true meaning of, of the song is fairly self-explanatory with just a bit of nonsense in the middle. And in fact, Freddie Mercury has said that uh, most of the lyrics were just random rhyming nonsense. And I think, especially when you get to the opera section, that that's, that's definitely true. I always thought it was about a guy that they were trying to uh, prevent from throwing up in the backseat of a car. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to spew, is, spew into this. Isn't that the true <laughs> meaning of the song? <laughs> now, here's something interesting that I didn't know, that uh, when the band released a Greatest Hits album in Iran, they also published a leaflet that was printed in Persian. And it included a translation of the lyrics and an explanation of what the song was about. And so in this leaflet, they said that Bohemian Rhapsody is about a young man who accidentally killed someone and, like Faust, sold his soul to the devil. On the night before his execution, he invokes the name of God in Arabic, Bismala, and with the help of angels, regains his soul on the night of his execution. So that's really the only hint that we get from the band as to what the story of the song is about. What the underlying meaning is, nobody knows other than that it's about relationships. There's something totally bizarre about releasing that meaning to a to an Iranian release of this song. Yeah. You'd almost think that this song wouldn't be allowed to have been played in Iran. Absolutely, yeah, that's a very good point. Some people believe that the song was inspired by Albert Camus' novel, The Stranger, which has a similar uh, story that it was a young man who confesses to an impulsive murder and then has an epiphany uh, before he's executed. Some have interpreted the lyrics as Freddie Mercury's way of dealing with uh, his personal problems. Um, but it, this is all speculative. I think it's interesting that we're even having the, this discussion about what the meaning behind the song is and that we're using words like epiphany to describe this song when it's always been to me as you say, a little bit of nonsense and a lot of entertainment. You know, this song is is nothing if it's not entertaining and it's just a joy to listen to. So I've never bothered to even try to interpret the words or in fact, I'm not sure I've ever bothered to learn the words so that I can sing along with them because it's just such an entertaining song. You, you There's some songs you want to sing along with and then there's some songs that you just want to listen to and 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 be entertained and I think this is one of them. Yeah. It seems like gibberish. The I was watching last night a Saturday Night Live spoof of um, Pearl Jam and it was yeah. Adam Sand Sandler spiff and it was just gibberish, right? And I think the only words that you actually make out are like billboard hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the lyrics are pretty intelligible and you can understand what they're saying but when you get to the opera section there's there's some things that just do seem like they're just put in there to rhyme, and we'll talk about that. Let's talk first about the title. The name Bohemian in the title seems to refer not to the not to a geographic region, 
but to a group of artists and musicians that lived about a hundred years ago that were known for defying convention and living with disregard for standards. And a rhapsody is a piece of classical music with distinct sections that are played as one movement. Having said that I think that this is just pure entertainment, the, the flip side of that discussion is that the music in this is very detailed and very complicated and very enjoyable. Uh, you're, it's very impressive, you know, the way that they've constructed the, the music itself. And I will say, I didn't, I didn't know um, when they recorded this that, that it was such a detailed process and, and required a lot of money. And, and that makes sense to me because the, the composition of this song is very, very good. Yeah. I, I think that uh, A Night at the Opera is still the most expensive album ever created because of the detail in particular that they went into with this song. The, uh, the, the song begins with a four-part harmony a cappella introduction, and it's entirely uh, Freddie Mercury singing every part. Mm. But when you, when you see the video, it shows the four members of the band all lip-syncing, but it's still Freddie Mercury's mm. voice. Uh, so the lyrics at this point um, question whether life is real or just fantasy, and then uh, concludes that there is no escape from reality. And then the song launches into a ballad, the narrator explains ostensibly to his mother that he just killed a man, put a gun against his head, pulled my trigger, now he's dead. Now to me that doesn't really infer an accidental shooting like the, like the band said in the leaflet that they released uh, about the song. If you're putting your gun to somebody's head and pulling the trigger, that doesn't seem like much of an accident. But, but that is one of the uh, tried and true defenses to murder. <laughs> <laughs> So at any rate, uh, you know, this sets up the portion of the story that the narrator in the story killed a man, and, and then the, which sets up the rest of the song. Toward the end of the ballad part, Mercury sings a rising line, I sometimes wish I'd never been born at all. And then the song bleeds into this great guitar solo by Brian May, which serves as the bridge between the ballad and then the opera section of the song. And then the narrator depicts his descent into hell, is what uh, most people believe that the opera portion is about, with rival factions fighting over the narrator's soul, uh, with Scaramouche and Bismala and Galileo. And then the opera section concludes with the full choir singing, Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. So you've got Scaramouche, which means a stock character that appears as a boastful coward. You've got Beelzebub, which I think most people recognize as one of the names given to the devil. Now, see, here again, I'm a little disappointed knowing the real lyrics, because I always thought it said, Beelzebub has a devil for a disciple, and that's me. Was that right? Yeah. I, <laughs> I never the heard that. The only part I've ever sung with the radio, that's how I would have sung it. <laughs> now I'm disappointed. Sorry right. about that. It's okay. Yeah. You've got the word Galileo in this same section, and uh, some people speculate that Mercury may have written Galileo into the lyrics for the benefit of Brian May, who was an astronomy buff. Does it say anything about Figaro? There's nothing about Figaro, and there's nothing about um, doing the Fandango, and I just don't see that as, you know, things that really relate to to hell, to a descent into hell, so it, 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 this it, is the part where it just seems like you're trying to run. Is? a dance. Yeah, is, but it's like a Texan dance, isn't it? It's a Latin dance. Oh. Um, but then but then it launches into the part about 
the the chorus singing spare him his life from this monstrosity and then you get the rival factions in the, in the opera that are singing back and forth to each other it's really great my favorite part of the song is the opera section uh, then the opera section leads into a, an aggressive hard rock section with mercury singing angry lyrics that that don't seem to be related necessarily to the to the to the rest of the story so then he sings so you think you can stop me and spit in my eye so you think you can love me and leave me to die? Can't do this to me, baby. That seems to be maybe to be something a little more personal rather than related to the story about the, the young man who accidentally killed someone. But who knows? Sure, a great section, though. Very intense. And then the song builds up to the finale where it returns to the, the tempo of the introduction and uh, Mercury sings, Nothing Really Matters. After the last lyric is sung, Any Way the Wind Blows, then the, the final thing is the, the playing of a gong, which releases the tension built up through the whole song. So the song is almost six minutes long, and the record executives uh, for their label thought that the song was too long to be a hit single, and so they didn't want to release it unless they could chop it up, and Freddie Mercury says, no way, we're not chopping up this song. And so they actually gave uh, a reel-to-reel tape recording to a DJ, uh, Kenny Everett, in, in uh, England. Uh, and uh, they told him, hey, you don't you dare play this over the radio. And he said, oh, sure, you know, gives him a wink and says, oh, you, sure, I'm not going to play it over the radio. So then over the next few days, he would play snippets of the song and then ended up playing the whole song. And the, and the response was just incredible from from people calling the station to find out what the song was and where they could buy it it hadn't been released yet so they couldn't buy it similar thing happened in in America they they sent it to a a radio company that got a uh, got a copy of the tape and started playing it and and it really um, made it a hit so another interesting thing about uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is that Queen made a a promotional video for it that is really interesting they wanted to promote the song on BBC's Top of the Pops show, but didn't think that they could play it live because it was so complex. So what they did is they uh, they recorded this video and uh, used the the, re the recorded music uh, and put it to the film. And uh, the the video opens with an iconic shot of the four band members um, all stacked on top of each other like in a diamond shape lit from above so you just see the shadows of their faces and then it shows the four band members lip-syncing the acapella part together and then they launch into the rest of the song um, showing different images of playing the music and and sometimes back to the to the four the silhouette shot they they had some really interesting effects that were considered state-of-the-art at the time and most of them were achieved using camera feedback and prism lenses that were done in the recording of it and not post-production. So then in 1992 you've got Wayne's World and what a great scene with Dana Carvey and Mike Myers riding in the Mirthmobile and they pop in Bohemian Rhapsody and they're all singing along and and eating the uh, the licorice that, was, that came from the light <laughs> yeah, up above. That's right. And uh, and then you've got them all banging their heads when you get to the classic rock part. That scene is one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen in my entire life in a movie. And I believe that this song really was immortalized by the movie. It's a classic rock song. People are going to recognize it. But I, 
think that this movie pushed it up into a higher realm uh, even than it would have been. Um, I went to see this movie in 1992. I went to see it with uh, my sister. My wife was out of town, and we went to a midnight showing. It actually opened up. Um, this was one of the first movies that opened up the night before, and we went to a midnight showing. Um, the whole place was packed, and people were laughing already at this movie from the very beginning. And I think this portion uh, of the movie where they played this song is about a third of the way through the movie, and, and the audience at this point had been thoroughly entertained. And when all of those people in the car begin bouncing their heads up and down, their long hair just bouncing everywhere... I have never heard, I literally have never heard laughter like that in my life. The, the <laughs> laughter was so loud, it hurt my ears. And I've never been in a, in a situation like that. It was almost like sitting in, a, in an arena, uh, like in a basketball arena, watching a, a pro basketball game. It was so loud, and it was just amazing. And, and, and really, I think that uh, there were a lot of people in that room that really didn't know the song because it was it was a much younger crowd than even I was, and I was fairly young at the time. So it was amazing, and again, just it pushed it into superstardom, immortalized. Yeah, it, absolutely, yeah, for yeah. sure. Now, in fact, you know, as I mentioned before, in the United States, the song charted higher after the release of Wayne's World than it did when it was originally released. Well, in connection with the Wayne's World movie. A new video was also released for the song, intercutting excerpts from the film with footage of the original Queen video and some live footage of the band. Now, Mike Myers was horrified that the recording company had mixed clips from Wayne's World with Queen's original video, and uh, he actually said, he said, they've just whizzed on a Picasso. <laughs> <laughs> So he asked the record company to tell Queen that the video was not his idea and to apologize for him. And the band uh, sent a reply saying, thank you for using our song. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In that case, um, they could not have had a better outcome for their song than to have been featured in that movie because it, it all it was it all came from a position of respect. That was the great thing. Uh, Wayne's World um, was not cynical and it, and it wasn't sarcastic. It was very genuine, and, and clearly it was a, um, it was sort of an Archie Bunker, a modern day Archie Bunker, where you were sort of looking at these guys producing a movie in their in their or a TV show in their basement, and you were sort of laughing, you know, at them a little bit, but it was all out of their sincerity. And this song featured in the movie was was an absolute tribute to the song and their love for good music. So it was a win win for everybody. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that um, Mike Myers said after he got this response from the band, just the simple thank you, he said it was like uh, he, he wanted to tell Queen, thank you for letting me touch the hem of your garments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Wayne's World video version of Bohemian Rhapsody won Queen its only MTV Music Video Award for best video from a film. Wow. Uh, that movie and that song are married now forever, that's for sure. The other part of that movie, the other interesting piece of that movie, maybe we've discussed this before, was was uh, in the theatrical version of the movie when Wayne goes into the guitar store and starts playing the beginning of Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> right. And and then when it was released on video and even now on DVD, that 
that's all deleted. Um, when he goes in there, he plays nonsense because Led Zeppelin has never, except only uh, a couple of times, allowed their songs to be used in movies. Oh, wow. One in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, like we talked about, and the other was in School of Rock with Jack Black. Wow. And only after the entire cast sent a recorded plea to, to allow Cashmere to be used in, in the movie. Well, thanks, Treg. Uh, that is a great story about literally and truly one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all times hey for the listeners of rocktail hour again we want to mention that we have a new sponsor audible.com and again let you know that they're offering a free audiobook download with a 14-day trial membership that'll give you a chance to try out their service audible.com has over a hundred thousand titles to choose from for your ipod or mp3 player and you know one book that uh, Rocktail Hour listeners may be interested in is Eric Clapton's autobiography. So you can download your free audio book from the link on our homepage or affiliates page. Um, want to thank you for listening uh, again. Want to thank Treg for this Rocktail Hour about Bohemian Rhapsody. Please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we uh, if you ever think we get it wrong, or if you have an interesting Rocktail Hour of your own, or if you have a recommendation of a song that would be a good subject. And until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on. Party on, Wayne. <laughs>